Kirk, Spock, and Scotty walk into a bar. The bartender says, Damn it, Jim. I'm a doctor, not a bartender. Shut up, Wesley. Welcome to The Final Frontier, a Trekspeare podcast for all of your Star Trek fan film needs. I am Bill Allen, a.k.a. the guy in the red shirt. And joining me today via the internet, we have our fearless leader, Adam Mullen, and our unique special guest host, which we're going to be talking about his uh, Adventures of Dean France audio drama and other Star Trek fan films he's been working in. It's Mr. Andre Martinez. Hello. Thank you for having me. And is that your radio voice, or...? That is my radio voice, yes. I <laughs> I always try to make a grand entrance. I'm like, hello, this is a voice. And then, and then they ask me a question, like, oh, and, uh, yeah, I... I <laughs> and then my real, my real <laughs> voice comes out, and I turn into this small child, which is me. See, we, we've got to get you, we've got to get you to do the intro for the show. In oh, a world, man. in a world where Star <laughs> Trek fan films get discussed, one team makes the difference. Yes, I like that. That 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 was that was that was good. That was, that was real good. Can you show us your version? <laughs> yes, dude, you got to do your version. <clears throat> oh, jeez. Welcome to the Final Frontier, a Trexphere podcast about fan films. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty good. Yes. We're gonna do like this is the podcast we are talking. We know what we're doing most of the time. Something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, please don't copyright that because we may end up using that as our catchphrase. Yeah. <laughs> the catchphrase. What? Wait. What? What? Where? Where are we? What's going on? Please <laughs> tell me. That's that's kind of our catchphrase right now. It really is. I, I think officially out. our our catchphrase is what's our catchphrase? <laughs> yep. That's it. All right. So we we've got our weekly roundup of news. What do we got? Um. Well, oh. I guess we should. Talk about the uh, end of Star Trek Continues. Um, isn't the the latest episode like kind of a tie-in with um, the motion picture? Yeah, yeah. It's like I don't want to spoilerize anything. But, yeah, but I just yeah. <laughs> w- without giving away the plot, the ship rolls into Earth and it's been uh, jacked up from its last mission to save the galaxy and Woo! Vic Mignogna. A.K.A. Captain Kirk, A.K.A. now Admiral Kirk in the sporty bell-bottom jumpsuit, gives a nice little. He gives, he gives a great little. It's been an honor serving with you speech to the cast, Aww. to the gathered cast and crew, which is kind of a nifty That's little. Awesome. It's like a double-edged kind of thing because it's to the crew of the Enterprise and to the crew of his fan film. He was telling everybody thank you and goodbye. That's awesome. That's a really nice way to tie it up. Honestly, I could have done without seeing the 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 disco Star Trek uniform. <laughs> uh, of all the things about the motion picture that bug me, that <laughs> might be the worst. Like I was saying, they look a lot more like pajamas. Like you know, I mean, I I, I totally wear that to like a convention or something. Just just like I, it's got <laughs> that weird like bell bottom leisure suit vibe to it. I'm sure it's real comfortable, but. Oh yeah. I kept expecting to see Kirk wearing like six gold chains, you know. <laughs> I, w- I would have paid to see that, absolutely. Oh man. Should we talk about the elephant in the room or are we going to leave that be? Uh, we can briefly mention it. Um the dust okay. up over Starbase Studios. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I recently the most they they really did was, you know, release the names of the people involved and the more, like, specific details about, you know, the case and whatnot. But it right. seems to really just, you know, come down back down to just, like, oh, yeah, someone just, I don't know, someone decided to be, I, I don't I mean, I don't, I didn't read too much into the full details, but I, it just really seemed to come down to, oh, someone, you know, took all their stuff out of Starbase Studios, and now they can't do anything. Yeah, it's uh, it was sort of like I guess like three or four guys started this back in the day, and there was yeah. a behind the scenes falling out of some type that you know everybody involved is 
kind of on the verge of bad-mouthing the other side, but also trying mm-hmm. to avoid bad-mouthing the other side because yeah. both sides are still, you know, halfway decent people about the whole thing. Yeah. So there's not a lot of detail, detail other than official records, but there's some sort of uh, court arbitration going on relative to who yeah. owns what as far as all the, the props and sets are concerned because these guys had a, a falling out, and it may or may not mean the end of Starbase Studios, and if it blows up out of control, it may or may not mean the end of fan films. I wouldn't say that necessarily, because you can still, you know, mock up a uh, a Trek set. You just gotta, it's just gonna be a little harder. Well, yeah, but there is some worry from some people that um, CBS CBS might True. come down and say, yeah. you know what, we we tried to be nice with you clowns. We we put out guidelines. We had a big problem with one fan film. And we thought the rest of you guys would be civilized about this. But since you guys can't be civilized about this, we're going to teach you a lesson. And, yes, apparently <laughs> CBS is run by the mob when they start. I don't know. Apparently, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at this point. <laughs> so, you know, the hammer may fall on everybody as blowback from this. Or it may just be... A simple he said, she said, fans not getting along with each yeah, other, that'll I be resolved like quietly. That, yeah, I feel like that's more of what seems to be manifesting. Just like, oh, yeah, just very, very big conflict of, I guess, conflict of interest or just, you know, people, you know, claiming their property or saying they did this. But like, oh, but no, that was supposed to be there and something where, you know, everything just breaks down from the from the ground yeah. up. Oh. And it's hard for people like us to talk about because, yeah. you know, we're, we're trying not to pick sides because I think all of us are friends with various people in various productions that have done various things and nobody wants to hurt a friend or get caught between friends or anything like that. It's just sad to see me like, I don't know. I'm just, I've, I've only recently kind of discovered, you know, this, this, this part of the fandom because like my, my, my experience with the fandom, like before I want to say a couple months ago, maybe a year was, you know, I just, I, I you know, routinely watch Star, Star Trek on Netflix. You know, my entire family is a, are all Trekkies, pretty much. Um, and, you know, I just came across, you know, uh, the, the fan films from um, A Connection. So a friend of a friend, uh, you know, introduced me to, um, to Vance, who, of course, was on this podcast. Uh, and from there, we collaborated. Like, oh, there's all these fantastic people working on fan films, but this time I'm seeing it, you know, from the inside. It's like, oh, this is this is how you guys do this stuff. And then, you know, to see it just kind of go, you know, before I really have time to really interact more, you know, create more with all these fantastic people, it's just like, oh, well, that, you know, really sucks. Especially, you know, since, since Axanar came down, it's just been kind of sad, honestly. It's just... I don't know, that's all I really got to say about that, but yeah. Yeah, it's like, it, it's kind of weird. I, I, I'm almost thinking the term Trexploitation needs to be invented at this point. Yeah. Because there is a weird mentality about it where art and vision are being replaced by a need for fortune and glory or something. Yeah. I mean, it's like... It's fine to, you know, want to have an audience or, you know, want to put out your work in front of a ton of people. That's fine as long as that doesn't become the primary goal. I mean, in terms of, you know, the numbers are more than the satisfaction you you get from, you know, just, you know, just creating for these people and, you know, just putting yourself out there. I know, Andre, you don't, on your your answers, you said you don't watch Discovery, um, but, you know, that... That had its fall finale. Did we want to talk about that? I'm fine with spoilers, honestly. I'm probably like I, like I said in my review of it. I'm just a poor college student who only affords Netflix and nothing else. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it's not a fan film, but we could at least mention that they did have a fall finale, and it was you know I think it was fan flippantastic. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, nice. nifty little midpoint cliffhanger. And they are, they're doing a season two, yeah? yeah? Yeah, they've already been picked up for season two, but this is just the first half of season one. Come January, oh. they start... Yeah, they did, uh, like, eight episodes, nine episodes in the first half. And then uh, they're taking, like... Well, it's it's the holiday break, you know. Everybody's right. busy yeah, with other yeah, stuff, yeah. so... They figure since viewing numbers are going to drop off because everybody's 
doing holiday stuff, they're taking the hiatus and coming back in January with the rest of season one. Yeah, the last six episodes. The first half has been a good show. I mean, eventually it'll be on Netflix. Probably two years yes. from now you'll have season one on Netflix and you can catch <laughs> it then. I'm crossing my fingers. Because it's, I mean, it's uh, Harry Mudd. Rain Wilson as Harry Mudd did a great job. Sinister. Awesome. Sinister with just a hint of that uh, flamboyant quirkiness he came, became known for during the original series. Um, plenty of little throwbacks and Easter eggs pointing to the original series and tying it into other shows. It's got a nifty little, nifty little hook dealing with this whole new experimental transportation FTL mode of travel. Uh, they're doing a great job with the whole ethical philosophical side of Star Trek, especially with the whole consequentialism angle. Nobody wants a war, and the question is, is it more important to be true to our beliefs, even no matter the cost, or would it be better to say to hell with our ethics, because if we don't win, we're not going to be alive to uphold our ethics, and we got to do whatever it takes to win. You know, it's it's yeah. a great... It's a great moral debate, and it it it's so far it's it's living up to what Star Trek should be, and yeah, it looks real spiffy too. <laughs> I do agree, and like um, I kind of touched in my review of the first uh, episode was like, yeah, it's kind of like that battle between you know your morals or Starfleet's morals, you know, or are we gonna do your thing, or are we gonna do Starfleet's thing, um. And then, like, it just, yeah, just from the first episode, I could definitely get that very Trekkian feel where it's like, you know, a battle of morals, a battle of ethics, and it just still kind of sits true to, you know, what Star Trek's all about. I don't really understand why you know, everyone's up in arms because, you know, oh, it's modern Star Trek. You know, it's, it's going to happen. People are going to get upset, but I just don't really see why. Uh. <laughs> uh, people people are scared of change. Change yeah. is bad. <laughs> Nerds I have a, change. It's, it's I, I have a theory about why it's especially bad with Star Trek fans, and it is just a theory. All right, hit me. During the 80s, when Trek got big again, because in the 60s it really didn't do much. It had a, a pretty loyal fan base that managed to do a write-in campaign and keep the show alive for an extra season, even though it wasn't that great yeah. of a season. <laughs> and Gene Roddenberry tried to keep uh, interest in the show through the animated series. And after that, it it started to peter out and lose interest, but it got a resurgence through the conventions and the fanzines and, and the clubs. And, and the fans kept it alive and... You know, some of them invented fan films back in that day, but it was never it was never quite enough to push it back into the mainstream because his first attempt at a a big movie and his first attempt at a second series didn't take off. Mm -hmm. uh, and then sometime in the 80s, after Wrath of Khan, Star Trek blew up huge, and the 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 origin of Star Trek became sort of a, almost a, a legend or a myth that got uh, propagated out there where, you know, Star Trek was sold as intellectual fare. It was for the sophisticated mind. It dealt with deep <laughs> issues, and it was for a smart audience. And, and the fans started believing they were a smart audience. And I'm not saying fans are not smart. I'm just saying Star I see Trek, where you're going with this. Yeah, I'm, Star I'm, Trek <laughs> was always aimed at everybody. It was never aimed yeah. at some tiny little elite portion. Mm -hmm. But the fans started believing they were this tiny little elite portion, and they were the best. They had reached the pinnacle. So every time a new series comes up and changes things, it's like it threatened that myth. It's like, but we're the best. We're perfect. We should do things the way we're doing it because that's the right answer. You can't mm -hmm. say there's a different right answer because that makes us less than the best. And I think that's part of why every series has blowback on it where people don't like it because you're changing things. Why do you need to change what's the best? It makes it not the best. You're making mm -hmm. inferior product. It's my theory. It, it's, that's, that's my so it's theory. Just, this is, so it's just like a superiority complex on the, on the part of the Trekkies where it's just like, yeah, this is the best and anything that's not it is, is objectively inferior. I see what you're saying, and it makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I man. don't I don't mean to I'm not bashing Star Trek because it right. is really really darn good. And the, the thing about Star Trek is it's never number 1 in any single category, but it's always in like the top 5 or the top 3 yeah. of a category. So it's mm-hmm. overall kind of collectively is the best franchise. Yeah. Individual yeah. categories for measuring it, there's always something out there better than it. Um, well, yeah, yeah. When, when it comes to doing the whole uh, cerebral, intellectual, philosophical angle, uh, Star Trek's number three. It's behind The Outer Limits and The Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone, yes. Uh, when it comes to being one of the longest-running franchises in history, it's number two behind Doctor Who. When it comes to being a financial success, Oof. it's... Num- well, it was number two behind Star Wars. Oh, really? Um, oh, yes. Yeah. Star Wars has always been... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Star Wars was aimed for merchandising, and I'm pretty sure Star Trek was the next big thing when it comes to sci-fi franchises as far as being a financial success. I think yeah. it might now be number three behind the Marvel Universe, if you're going to classify the Marvel Cinematic Universe as sci-fi, then Star Trek is number three now. Mm. But Star Trek is still beating the DC universe. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) So, hey, we're number three, not number four. Woo! And that's the thing. Star Trek has always been successful, and overall, because it's in so many top categories, you can say that it's generally the best, but it's never the apex of any particular category it's in. Yeah, and just believing anything is, like, objectively the best, it's like, stop. <laughs> that's that's my only response, just stop. <laughs> so oh, that's man. my long-winded theory about why Star Trek fans hate Star Trek. Shall we do the uh, question of the week? Let's do it. All right, this one's titled, Con! That's my best Con impression, I'm sorry. Or best impression of William Shatner saying Khan. Um, All right. So what year did Khan leave Earth on the DY-100 class sleeper ship, the Botany Bay? Was it A, 1994, B, 1996, C, 2001, or D, 1988? So, again, don't say the answer yet. Just think about it. Yep. I'm I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Come back to it. Uh, right. No cheating, though. Don't look up on the computer. I know. Uh, <laughs> Bill, do you, do you think you know? Don't say I it. Think, I think I know. I think I know. Okay. Yeah, but I was, same if, here. If I was going to guess a number, I would have been off by a couple of years. But, All right. Well, mm. we'll come back to it near the end. All right. All right. Should we get into the interview portion? Let's go. It's time All to put right. Andre Martinez on the spot. Oh, boy. And there's the voice right on cue. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know Bill Bill and I are looking at the same document where I have some questions written up, but I was going to ask you about, you know, who you are, like what you're currently doing, because you're a voice actor, you're in film school. So tell us about you. Uh, Well, I think uh, if you want to talk about me, we'll start at the beginning. Um. Uh, well, I've been doing all things, I guess, media-related since I was nine years old. I started on, um, you know, I, I was a huge, I was, a, of course, a, a, apart from being a, a very young Trekkie, I was also very into Legos. And um, one day I came across, so this was like the early, early, early days of YouTube. Um, and I came across these um, these videos uh, called Brick Films, or, you know, um, the people would, you know, uh, would... Um, make stop motion films of of with their Lego sets and all this this crazy stuff. I'm like, wow! I, I was really captivated by uh, how they brought like these, you know, your favorite little minifigures, whether it be Star Wars or like um, whatever, just bringing that to life. I was really captivated by that. And um, so my dad did a little bit of research and he introduced me to on how to make stop motion on Windows Movie Maker. Um, so I was doing that for. You know, just I was, I was back, yeah, back when I was right nine, um, and then I just kept rolling with it. You know, I um, I made a few movies with you know like the little digital camera my mom had, 
and I'm from I'm from Brooklyn now. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, I started using like a little basic digital camera. Did that through middle school, um, through high school. You know, upgraded to a camcorder, did a little more stuff. I shot my first. Um, it wasn't quite a feature film. It was a 30-minute film I shot in uh, sophomore year of high school. And then in senior year of high school, I shot my first feature on a DSLR. Um, and that one was about – that was a that was a 60-minute film about Vietnam. And uh, now I am in Los Angeles uh, study, studying film. I, I'm with a little minor in business because, you know, you got to have those numbers to, to, to back everything up financially and all that stuff. Um but yeah, out here I I actually recently discovered voice acting. I just one one night in my uh, second semester of freshman year, I was you know I was watching this um, this YouTube video of some guys who had made a movie out of uh, footage they they grabbed from uh, Grand Theft Auto V, and you know they were voicing over and all that stuff. And I just kind of thought to myself like I wonder I wonder what it'd be like to be the voice behind behind some of those characters. Uh, and I looked up like forum posts for auditions, and I just started, and I never went back. I literally started recording stuff on my phone, like you know, I would, I would, you know, record in my room. I would say lines into the phone, chop them up on the computer, and send them over to uh, uh, casting or, not, or yeah, I guess casting directors. And I actually did get a lead on like a Sims Four machinima, um, and then from there I got uh, a USB mic, which I'm actually using right now. Um, a blue yeti uh and i i kept that for like a couple months and then i upgraded to like the full shebang with an xlr mic and all this fancy tech gear i use my uh i still use my yeti so use the the usb thing because you know i keep it around it's like not just a reminder of where i started but also you know just like it's 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 useful it's useful to have like on my desk and then i have in my studio my home-built studio uh my my more expensive and my more uh, fancy microphone but yeah um i'm a professional voice actor i do a lot of uh i'm doing a lot of games recently um i'm actually oh speaking of star trek i'm um there's a there's a dating simulator a star trek dating simulator currently <laughs> in the works it's i play i play Chekhov. i play Chekhov in that um <laughs> and, oh it's 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 a real blast uh especially i think the greatest thing about voice acting is what really or at least what really drew me to it is that you're not bound by how you look as a person. You're bound by how you sound and how well you can commit to that character. Uh, I think, like, the most outlandish role I've ever landed was for, like, a 70-year-old Japanese sensei on some, uh, on um, the Doctor Who audio dramas, the ones that they've been around since, like, 1982, I think. They have a sweet site. Um, but, yeah, that was... that. <laughs> That was a two-hour session that completely destroyed my voice, but it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, uh, that's that kind of brings us up to today, and that's just pretty much who I am. I just love – I feel like I've grown to love acting, especially through voice acting and all that. It's I started as a filmmaker, and I found my my passion of, you know, putting on characters, putting on different people, and presenting them. And I've uh, – and I know um, we had – we talked about Vance earlier a little bit, but I, and I've been in one of his fan films, the recent one, uh, Stand, Stand with Me, I believe it was called. Uh, I keep, I wanted to say Stand by Me. He's like, no, mm -hmm. no, that's another movie. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's 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 where I am. That's who I am. I, did I cover most of the question? <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. really great. Woo! All right. What well, can you tell us about uh, the adventures of Dean France? The Adventures of Dean France. Oh, boy. All right. Well, this started as um, just a, you know, just a, just a little silly little idea I had in my head. Um, I think this was before I went to college. Somewhere around then, I was toying with an idea with an ex-girlfriend of mine um, about uh, a pair of cadets who are in the academy and they do they're 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 on all sorts of adventures together but it's mostly about this guy named Dean France. He's our main character. Uh he starts out as an ensign and then we later track him down um like uh we 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 see his adventures throughout the, the throughout the series. And um originally this was, was going to be a fan film until you know Axonar happened and then all this stuff went down I'm like, "Oh, oh. Oh. 
what I did is over a couple months, I wrote an okay script. I'm not, oh, man, the writing for the pilot, I, uh, it, it was all right. It was, it was okay. It was definitely a learning experience. Um, but, uh, so it, 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 it is an audio drama. Of course, I think we mentioned earlier in the podcast. Um, but because, you know, because, uh, the Axanar, the, the Star Trek fan film guidelines have, uh, strictly applied to fan films, not audio dramas. So, you know, I can do, uh, 30 minute episodes, 30, 20, 30 minute episodes, which is kind of what we're going for. Um, but the pilot of Dean France is out right now. Um, and it's available on my YouTube channel. I don't know if you guys are going to put a link or something yeah, to it. In the, yeah. yeah. All right. So the link is in the description or whatever, or whatever, <laughs> wherever text is to be had. The link should be there. You can check out the pilot episode. Uh, and right now, all the other episodes are in development. We have six more coming. Um, and I will, in terms of story, I will say that it covers... Um, Dean Francis, he ascends the ranks, and then we kind of stay on him being captain uh, around the middle of the, I, I guess, the season, and then we, we close off with with staying in that relative time space. But a, a lot of it's like, you know, him climbing through the ranks and learning um, and, you know, dealing with what it takes to be a Starfleet officer, uh, I think. That pretty much covers Dean France. But, yeah, uh, go ahead and check it out. It's like... 36 minutes last time I checked. Cool. I yeah. I really enjoyed listening to it. Um, I had started listening to it when you first posted it in the uh, the uh, Star Trek uh, fan group. And then I, I became busy, and I only got to listen to a part of it. And I was going to come back to it. Um, and yesterday I finally got to listen to all of it again. Awesome. And, uh, I thought it was really good. So I look forward to the next episode. We're just going to pretty much rapid-fire it from here because, um, you know, I'm going to try and get the scripts out to everyone and, you know, just get it all knocked out, and then from there we'll we'll have regular releases. Right now, it's just the pilot. It's just the one shot, and then we're going to do all six more uh, so in the future. When, when when does the second episode come out? Do you have an estimate? Ooh. Or maybe, maybe you don't want to commit to that. <laughs> you know, what's funny, it's like whenever I give an estimate, Usually it comes out at least a month late. So if I had to put a date on it, I think I want to say the first month of the summer. So like around June-ish. Okay. Uh, it's, yeah, again, I, I'm, I'm really busy with school and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and uh, doing career things. Um, so it's, but it, it's definitely a priority of mine and it's definitely something I plan to finish. And that's just something I... I don't leave things unfinished. That's just something I don't do. You know, I'll leave something for like a little while. I'll come back to it. You know, I'll leave it on the shelf. But eventually, things do get done. I don't give up. So, well, I look forward to it. Glad you do. All right. Now, now the question I had to follow up all of that when I was listening to it, and then I read the credits on your YouTube link. Um, I, I was struck by the fact that you are not Dean France. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's, I mean, it, it's not that people who make fan films are conceited egomaniacs who have no, to be no, the center no, of attention, no, but usually the guy who makes the project plays a lead role because of personal, did you not want to be the lead role, or? I think this, I really didn't give this decision much thought, per se, but I do feel like seeing it from a distance and allowing the character to become kind of his own was kind of what I was going for. Um, my when I when I was learning to direct actors, a lot of it came down to you know allowing them to make their own choices because they're just they're they're just as um, entitled to make creative decisions as the, well. I mean, within reason, of course. Um, as a director is, you know, they're, they're, they're creating as well. They're artists as well. Um, so I guess it was more of just like, you know, including the actors in that, letting Dean France kind of take on a life of his own. Uh, and while, you know, I, I understand, like, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, um, playing the lead role is, and, and directing at the same time is a bad thing. Like, no, that's, I totally get it. Like, I, <laughs> I, I totally want to be a Starfleet officer. I can totally get the appeal behind that. It's just, it kind of, it just kind of ended up that way. I'm like, I want to, hand this off to someone else and see how they do. I mean, like, 
if if worse comes to worse, if um, I can't get in contact with um, the lead role, then I'll step in. Um, but uh, ultimately, I do want to leave it on someone else. And maybe who knows? Maybe maybe later on down the road, I'll I'll do a fan film. Um, I got like a like a like an actual film, and uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll maybe I'll star in it. Who knows? But um, yeah, I understand. I, I hear where you're coming from, but I just feel I wanted to leave it to someone else and to let him. Let let Dean France be Dean France is kind of my answer. <laughs> was there now it says it was uh Chris Chris Defina Defina or Defina? Chris Defina, yes. Chris Defina was Dean France. Um yes. any of the things that, that he brought to the character that you didn't think of that you just really enjoyed or anything you want to tell him yeah. never do that again or Um <laughs> Yeah, no, I get you. Um he he brought some pretty interesting uh pros- to or at least a perspective to the character. Um it's interesting to like, you know, you write a script, you have, you know, the character in your head, and you pass the script off to someone else, and then it suddenly becomes something I mean, it's of course it's, you know, it, you cast them for a reason, you know, cuz like they could play the character, but it somehow it becomes different. What Chris Savina really brought to the role was kind of of he he brought, it's interesting because you know in voiceover you can't see the person but his his voice really has a unique smile to it i can't quite describe like that's the best like you know word i can put to it but he brought like a smile a sort of a a cockiness a sort of a a positivity to his character um and i i i really like that and it what's what's funny though is that <laughs> i I'm, without giving away too much i Poor Dean. I do so many terrible things to this character. <laughs> but that's what's so great about what Chris brought to the role was that, you know, he brought this positivity. It's like, yes, that is what Dean France is about. But that's about to take a very different turn. <laughs> oh. But, yeah, it's it, – he definitely fit he, he definitely fit the role very well. And, of course, that's why I cast him. That's why it all happened. And, yeah, he, he was hoping it, it all works out in the future, yeah. What was the most challenging aspect to producing, making, writing uh, The Adventures of Dean France? I think, oof, that's a really good one. Um, It's mostly a deal of time. And I've always struggled with that, you know, and especially in my productions in college, because, oh, I've got college assignments that are due. That's a thing. It is. (laughs) Um yeah, timetables are a huge thing. Um, I've found that I do take a long time to write. I don't, I'm not satisfied with, you know, just sitting in front of a, you know, a page and just, you know, typing out whatever is on my head and, you know, just, just, just do, I, I'm very picky about what I put on the page. And, um, that's usually what, where, where most of the time goes is, you know, um, cranking out the scripts and then of course the other time thing is something that's you know out of my control is uh voice actors you know who are submitting lines people who miss lines things of that nature um and making sure that that's taken care of uh is another thing that slows us down but you know it's something out of control and it's a volunteer production so i totally get it um and those are the two main things but overall it really seems like yeah i'm a college student i i I have I have homework stuff to do. I have all this stuff to do. It's a matter of you know just finding the time, but also finding the time to be creative. Because you can set aside like an hour or something. Like all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna or, like I don't an hour is too little. <laughs> um, uh, set aside three hours. Like okay, I'm gonna write this out and it's gonna be great. But you know you get there and suddenly you're extremely exhausted. I don't know. Maybe you had a bad day. Maybe things just didn't go right. You're not, or maybe you're just you're just not feeling it. And it's incredibly hard to plan around this kind of stuff. Where it's like you sit down, it's like, yeah, I'm pumped for Dean France. All right, what, what, what is he going to do here? A lot of it, you know, again, uh, kind of summarizing the points is it just comes down to pickiness about writing, and then just general production slowdowns, and then ultimately it's like, I'm a college student. I I don't have much time on my hands. There's only 24 hours in a day. As my as my mom likes to put it, in 12 hours you're supposed to spend sleeping. Wasn't there 26 hours on Deep Space Nine or something Tw- like that? 26? Oh, was there? I don't. I don't know. Wow. Um, yeah, like they had time. a 26-hour day because of Bajor, and they still didn't have enough time. <laughs> but yeah, 
ultimately, it's like time. Time is the thing. As much as I'd love to, like, just spend a week driving myself crazy, like, producing this, it's, oh, man. And then there's also creative burnout. Ooh, that's mm-hmm. a totally different thing, you know? Especially, I don't know, that's, like, something I've been struggling with for the past couple weeks. Um, also, depression doesn't help. That's definitely not going to help you. Um, uh, but but you're, you're a creative director-writer type. That depression is what fuels your autobiography and the yeah. story they make of you. Oh, man. No, I... T- but it's it's it really is soul-sucking when you, like... You you were so passionate about this story, about this character. What is he going to do next? What's going to happen to the Federation? Hint, hint. Um, but it's... It's sad when, like, you, you sit in front of this and you're like, I don't know. I don't... I, I just don't want to do this. It's kind of sad, you know? Like, when, you sit, when, you're, when you're so pumped about something and you know, like, this is your purpose, this is what you're supposed to do, and you sit in front of it and you're just like... None of me wants to do this right now. It's just, it's probably the most frustrating feeling and just most demotivating experience you can have as a human being. It's, or at least a creative human being. Yeah, it's, oh, man, it's, it's, there, it, to be perfectly honest, it's nothing to be romanticized. It's more of just a very real frustration as a creator is you just sit down and like, come on, I need to do this, but. Ah. Anyway, <laughs> when, when you're when you're when you're sitting down to write, do you um, do you like watch a little Star Trek first, or maybe listen to a I really movie sh- soundtrack to kind of get in a Star Trek mood? Or yeah. I um, I most of the time I listen to like you know soundtrack. I lost I, you know the uh, the the Star Trek mega suites are huge. They're the best. They're the best. Um. They're they're always a help, you know. Like with all the how how um whatever the user's name is, how he mixed the soundtracks is great. You know, it's great to listen to in writing, but it's not great for motivation per se. I think what I probably need to do to improve is uh, watch other people's fan films, um, because that's the whole reason why I'm why I'm sticking with this and why I'm really um why I really want to do this is because you know people like Vance. Because, you know, people have this passion for this franchise. And, you know, I had a moment where, you know, I was really stuck on something and I went to a friend and I'm like, hey, could you help me write this out? And he's like, yeah. And we pounded out like a really, like a really great second half to one of the episodes for, for Dean France. Um, and we also not only did that, but we also like, you know, further built the world that sets up for the final episode. Um, and it's... It's other people. The inspiration from other other creators who are just as passionate as you is something that is just incredibly inspiring. And, and, and even just even just in creative, you know, other films I'm doing for like school or just independently, it's incredibly inspiring to see what other people are doing. Seeing, you know, this is what I am a part of. This is what this is all about. Seeing that end product that someone else has put blood and sweat and tears in is something that really just keeps me going. I think, again, going forward, it's like, I don't know, maybe I'll watch uh, um, one of Vance Major's uh, fan films before I get started writing or something like that. Um, but, yeah. yeah <laughs> music, yeah, music isn't as... I mean, when you're writing, sure, but, like, you know, it, 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 it isn't really doing much for me as it used to. Okay. Yeah, I, I have the opposite. I've, I've, I've sat down and planned on doing fan fiction, fan film, and watching the... It's like if I watch Continues or I watch New Voyages or if I watch something by Vance Major, it it has kind of the opposite effect on me. It's like, I'm not going to be able to do this good. Uh, Why should I try? I I need to find the really god-awful stuff to watch so I can be like, (laughs) if they can do it, I can do better than that, you know? What can you tell us about uh, your experience with Stand With Me? Um, hmm. That was a while ago when we first shot that. Um, and, man, I'm part, part of me is, like, tempted to pull up, you know, the conversation that uh, Vance and I had. Um, but 
what uh, my experience was, it was just, you know, Vance came to me, like, um, he knew I was an actor, and um, I know I wanted to be a part of his fan films, you know, I wanted to be a part of the Star Trek scene, um, and he sent me uh, this script, um, and for those who haven't seen the fan film, I'm, you know, not giving much away, but I'm just, um, I appear as uh, a really an, um, a distressed uh, engineer who's, you know, stranded on a ship after, you know, uh, oh, come. Oh, it's just just stranded. I'll leave it at that. But <laughs> um, uh, what was, you know, I, I just, what was so great about it is how he managed to, you know, work around the distance gap. And he does that, you know, with all of his other films where, you know, he has, like, transmissions to other people, and, and it really works. And um, it was just, it was great because, you know, I'm, I'm hundreds of miles away from Vance, and I was able to participate in his vision. I think that's, that was... It was it was it was just a great experience, you know. I just like I I went out to my garage. Um, it was a, it's it's a really it's a really intense scene. Um, so you know I I, I prepped myself and I just like shot two takes in the garage. I sent them to Vance and he was just like, great, this this is this is some really awesome stuff. And um, just just being a part of that, I think, is what really is the magic of Vance's films. Cause like, um, I can't, I, I, I can't evaluate his work on, you know, the level that I'm working with, you know, I'm, I'm in, I'm in freaking LA where with like all these, this, this, this crazy, like, you know, pressure to do the absolute best and all like, you have to get these, these shots have to mean something. Your screenplay is awful. Do this, do that. You're not good enough. But with Vance's films, he's just like, we're gonna we're gonna go out. We're gonna do this because we love it, and that's working with Vance and acting in his film and being a part of his vision and being a part of his his just kind of the world he created is it really brought me back to my roots. Um, you know, after spending this is my third year in L.A. Um, after, you know, constantly, you know, evaluating and reevaluating and re reevaluating my work and the work of others, um, and constantly rethinking my own content, you know, times where, you know, I'm just like, you know what, I should never, ever touch the mic again. Um, remembering what Vance allowed me to be a part of and, you know, just said, you know what? We're just going to do it. It's going to be great. Give us what you got and have fun. And I did just that. And just working with him has made me, you know, rethink, you know, why, why, why am I here? Why am I still doing this? And, you know, where, where did I, where, where did I start? That's really, you know, the magic that, that, that really was, Working, working with Vance, and just being a part of the world of Menard and the Con Star, and all that stuff. So, <laughs> that's that's my experience with with Stan with me. Um, no, I don't want to I don't want to spoilerize it for anybody who hasn't seen it yet. <laughs> but um, your character is in a, a pretty bad place uh, mentally, emotionally. Um, and you mentioned earlier about uh, you know trying to overcome depression when you're writing yeah. sometimes. Uh, did doing that film, did that, was that some kind, was, was there any kind of catharsis with that? Or was it something where maybe just you could draw on <clears throat> your yeah. depression to mm. give it life? Did, did it make you, did it trigger your depression and make it worse for a while? Or did it help? Uh, um, the thing is that this was back when I I was still, trying to understand method acting um and right now i'm working on something with a fantastic director uh her name is alex she's fantastic but um a fan film or uh this is for uh something for class and okay. uh, and this was this this is more recent but um uh we were, we were workshopping something in class and i was really able to finally tap into that vulnerability 
but with, you know, back when I was doing this film, excuse me, um, back when I was doing, I was doing Stand With Me, I, getting in that place was more of finding, I, I, at this point, I was just kind of just groping around in the dark trying to find the right expression, uh, but right now I'm working on finding the right mindset. So back with this film, I was just, I was, you know, um, you know, I wasn't actively thinking about, you know, all um, the heartbreak or whatever happens on, whatever happens in life, but really latching onto that very abstract feeling. Um, so, you know, I was, I, I was alone in the garage, you know, it's a very dimly lit place, and all I had, I think, yeah, I had my, my phone light on, so... Um, the audience could see my face, and um, I just kind of sat there for a moment, and I really, I really focused a lot on the words, because you know when a character says something, he says something for a reason. You know, he's not just saying something like you know exposition, like oh, uh, watch out, better watch out, the the Dominion's been taking such and such a planet. Oh no. Uh, it's more of there's a motivation behind every word, and that's really what I focused on is making sure every single word was believable. Because this guy, he's been alone for, for, a, for a long, long time, and I really wanted to just be like, all right, so he hasn't – he's probably been talking to himself for a little bit, but like now he's actually talking to someone else that's not himself. Um, and so I really wanted to bring that uh, across. And I think there was a particularly um, – <laughs> there was a yelling line, and I was – that was one that was particularly challenging was to really, again, get the motivation behind that uh, – behind those words. And kind of bringing it back, though, is um, with, with, with Vance's, you know, just like we're just going to do it because we love it um, – you know, I can I can analyze it, I can reanalyze it, I can re reanalyze it, but you know, it's just I went for it, I did my best, and I had fun. So, <laughs> I mean, you're basically given the title of the show and your line in the film, you're the main character of that particular yeah episode. I mean, because you're the guy who says, "Stand with me." I was I was just really I was really happy to be a part of it. Just for fun, any uh, famous, iconic Trek characters you like to do impersonations of in your voice repertoire? Oh, man, Trek characters. I've I mean, never... you, you, you did mention you were uh, doing a Chekhov. For yes, one... I do a, do a Chekhov, yes. <laughs> but that is, new... more, that, that is more of like the, the, the 2009 film. It's very different from the, uh, the, um, the original series. Anyway, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that's just that's just Chekhov. Um, I let's see. What what's what's okay? Not, no no particular uh, uh, character in mind, but I I feel like Klingons and 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 Ferengi are the you know the 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 most fun to play around with because you really get very very like teethy. Um, it's like you disrespect my honor, sort of very shouty or stuff like that. Um, those characters are always fun. Um, but in terms of impressions, kind of segueing into impressions, uh, oof, accents are fun. Accents are always the best because you're watching, you're watching, oh, I guess I kind of stole Bashir on this one, but, um, <laughs> I, I, I should really pursue, um, um, Bashir roles if that happened to be. If you need a Bashir, talk to me. Uh, that's, <laughs> go right ahead. Um, he is like the chick magnet of voice work, so That's ladies, true. you know, he can be your Bashir. <laughs> be a Bashir. Bashir. Julian Bashir. There you go. <laughs> That's pretty spot on. Thanks. Oh, one. man. Yeah. I, I, can I, hear the, I can hear the James Bond 60s version of the Deep Space Nine theme as you say that. You yes. Know? I love that episode. The first time they introduced uh, Bashir as, as the Bond character, I'm just like, I didn't see this coming, but I really should have. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, you, you mentioned you love doing the Klingons and the Ferengi because of the teeth work. And is it, do you, do you have 
among your Star Trek collectible stuff? Do you have Klingon teeth and Ferengi teeth that you might wear to help along supporting, or do you, that you just would do it all with your gums? A lot of it is just placement of the teeth in terms of, like, a lot of people like to jut their, their jaw out a little bit. You get more of that orc feel. More down here. Of course, the, the, the throat thing, but also... Getting that te- the teeth, like I have my jaw right now, and it, it's producing a very different sound, as you can kind of hear on my, my, my words, a little slurred, but it's not to the point where you think I'm drunk or something. It's something along the lines of that. It's just playing or playing around with your teeth placement, um, and, you know, uh, vocals, of course, but yes, actually having a set of teeth around would be so useful. Because that's what the, you know on the show. That's how they that's how they get their voices. You know they just they have trouble speaking with all their makeup on, so that's just kind of how their voices come out. Um, oh man, I kind of want to like cosplay a Ferengi you now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I just recently saw the uh, DS9 episode where um, uh, what was it? Cisco goes back to the 40s, and just seeing. Quark acting without his makeup was just... I was just like, wait. Wait. wait, No. Yes. <laughs> it's uh, far beyond the stars for you guys playing at home. There's uh, there's one one fan production that you didn't mention that you're a part of. Oh. <laughs> That's right. That's right. A call of unity. <laughs> I just wanted to, to mention that you're, oh. you're a part of that. Part of I my, am. Yes. My upcoming audio drama. I am the first officer Galway. I don't sound like this, but I I am a part. Of it. <laughs> yeah, I just use my natural voice for for Galway. Um, yeah, that I, I'm a part of that. He's when I get I don't I don't know if hmm, I'm trying to make a judge a character, but like I I don't know what you had in your head, but he's kind of like he's kind of just ended up there. As as a first officer, just kind of, especially with the prologue, what happens in the prologue, he doesn't quite know what to do with himself, but he keeps rolling with the punches because that's how he rolls. If that, I, I don't know if I'm gathering that right, but <laughs> oh, I'm just curious what your take is. Yeah, that's kind of just how I played him. Was just like you know he's he's in this this role as a first officer, and he's kind of surprised. He he he's he's made it there, and especially like one of his lines. I, I, I'm trying to. I can't say much, but in one of his lines in the prologue, um, kind of confirmed it for me. Where he's just he, he's there. He's there to do his job, but he's just like, wow, I've I've made it this far. This is this this is a thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's just kind of how I I, I see his character. Is he's he's he does his job. He's good at his job, but he's just like, wow, I made it this far. What? Yeah, I feel kind of bad for the character because in the in the story he gets caught up as kind of like uh, the middleman between yeah you know having these orders that he doesn't necessarily agree with, but he yeah he um, he's very by the book or tries to be absolutely he he wants to do what's right uh, without giving anything away. You know, you guys really need to make something awful so that we don't care about spoiling a great plot because I just realized how odd. Yes, I'm in this thing, but I can't talk about the thing. But yeah. we do a thing. <laughs> we, we do the thing, yes. Yeah, Please believe us. To, I told them all to be, be quiet because <laughs> there's there's certain like little twists or Easter eggs in there that can just, I don't know, to me would ruin yeah. some of the story. Uh, certain characters. Um, it'll be fun. Hopefully, it'll be it'll be fun and good. I don't know. I'm I I enjoyed writing the the story, <laughs> and which is interesting that you you said that the Adventures of Dean France was going to be originally a uh, a film. Yeah, a, fan film series. A yeah, fan film series. And um, because A Call to Unity was going to be a feature length film, and then wow. of course you know with Axanar and, yeah. and the CBS guidelines, I went, oh well, I have to. I, I guess I'm not doing this anymore. Um, so yeah, yeah it, we we still want to tell our stories just in a different way. I totally yeah. get it. Yeah, no, I, yeah, it's just got to happen. Just just it's got to be Star Trek. That's the thing. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lightning round, you know, just a quick little kind of either or thing. Um, All right. 
you've heard them before, so you know how it goes, I'm sure. Yep, yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, who, who do you prefer, Kirk or Picard? Uh, Picard, because he's kind of he's he's a, he's a figure to look up to, um, as opposed to Kirk. He's just kind of just amateur. <laughs> Who's uh, who, who's a better enemy, the Romulans or the Klingons? Oof. Um, I'd say the Romulans would be hard to defeat because you know they're more, they're they're not predictable at all. They cheat. They you know they they work around the work around the rules. Work around you know how you usually work. So it, it'd be hard to see where they're coming from as opposed to the Klingons. They have a bunch of traditions and they're probably just gonna come charging right at you. So you know exactly where they're coming from. <laughs> All right. And since you did a uh, dating game sim, uh, <laughs> who's your favorite helpless ensign, Chekhov or Harry Kim? Oh no! <laughs> I'm gonna say uh, uh, Harry Kim because he never got promoted. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Spoilers, uh, no spoilers. <laughs> Shall we go back to the question of the week? Let's let's oh, let's hear it. Oof. All right. So what year did Khan leave Earth on the DY-100 class sleeper ship, the Botany Bay? Was it A, 1994, B, 1996, C, 2001, or D, 1988? Andre, how about you All go right. first since you're the guest? Take your best guess. My money's on A. Uh, I'm, I'm going all in. So Andre says 1994. Bill? Um, I mean, off the top of my head, I would thought it was like later, like 97 or 98, so I'm going to go with B, 1996, because I think 2001 might be too late. Mm-hmm. All right, well, according to, or I'm sorry, not Wikipedia, uh, Memory Alpha, uh, <laughs> it is uh, 1996. Ah! Oh! woo So the episode oh, was Space man. Seed, Season 1, Episode 24. And I have a bonus follow-up question. You want that? Oh, sure, let's do it. Okay. What was the Botany Bay named after? Oh, man. Ah, this I know. Botany but Bay. Botany Andre. Bay. Was it... Uh, like, was it... Was it... Was it Khan's hometown? No. No, ah. it was... I know this one. I know this I one. I don't before. know this one. <laughs> the Botany Bay. Well, watch me get it wrong too. I'm so sure I know it. <laughs> the Botany Bay was the name of the prison ship that the British Empire used when they shipped all the prisoners to Australia to found a colony. Well, ah, see, I got it wrong. Well, so well, from my research this morning, uh, according to Memory Alpha, it's the Australian Penal Colony. And then I went online to uh, Wikipedia, uh, and it says that the uh, Botany Bay never became a penal colony due, the, due to the land being swampy. So instead, they made the penal colony elsewhere. Um, yeah. So it's not really a penal colony, I guess, to my to my research with Wikipedia. Huh. Um, the the ship, I don't recall it being called the Botany Bay. Um, you know what? I can go back right now. In my research. Oh, man. You know what? I'm too lazy. Never mind. <laughs> uh, you can just say, we'll just go with the simple answer. Bill, you're wrong. So, <laughs> so simple answer, or simple response, Bill, you're wrong. <laughs> so, have you seen The Wrath of Khan? Of course I have. <laughs> okay, good. So, when uh, when Chekhov meets Khan, uh, he, or when he sees the Botany Bay, when he and Terrell uh, find the Botany Bay... Right. Chekhov is like, oh no, oh no, you know, Botany Bay. Can you do? Can you do an impression Botany of him saying that Bay. stuff? Botany Bay. I'm trying to remember what he said. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Botany Bay. We have to get out of here. We have to get out of here. Leave now. <laughs> leave now. Yeah, and then they. <laughs> Like they leave, and, and of course, you know, Khan and there's his all yeah, people. his menagerie are just out there, just like yeah. oh, oh. Yeah. I was terrified of that scene as a kid. Like I yeah. skip forward. I'm like, nope, nope, none of that. We're having none of that. <laughs> no. 
Thank you, Andre. Thank you for uh, for being on the podcast. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, and that's all the time we have today, boys and girls. Thanks for tuning in. Like and follow us on Facebook. Uh, check us out at our link at treksphere.com. Like and follow us on Facebook. Check us out on YouTube. Uh, we're also available in the iTunes store for free. Thank you very much to Andre Martinez for joining us today. We will be talking to him again as soon as he gets uh, part two done. So if there's, a, if, it, if there's a delay on part two, I'm sure it's because he's avoiding us. Yeah, and, and you'll probably, if you're friends with me on Facebook, you'll probably see me flustering about somehow vaguely. <laughs> so that's all the time we have today. Thank you very much. And screw you guys. I'm a going home.